morning, Mars Hill. Our reading today for this fourth Sunday of Advent comes from Isaiah chapter 7. If you have a shed Bible, you can find that on page 637. And we'll be reading verses 10 through 17. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of human beings? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father, a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah, he will bring the king of Assyria. The word of the Lord. Oh, the Lord be with you. Um, my name is Troy. Happy to be one of our pastors here. Um, Yes, I also want to say good fourth Sunday of Advent to you. I love the season of Advent. I know that some people call it sad event, particularly in light of texts like we just heard. That doesn't feel like um, Christmas, does it? Does it? Because it's not Christmas. <laughs> We're in Advent. And I love this particular season. I love this season that encourages us to wait. And I love that we get to orient our worshiping life for these couple of Sundays around these themes of waiting and hope and expectation. Um, Advent always seems to fly by for me. It always goes too fast. I always wish I would have taken more time to linger. I always wish I would have waited better. I love this particular insight about Advent. Uh, I hope this is helpful for you. Um, the spirit of this season, Advent, is confidence. Brimming with expectation and hope, and underneath which runs this current of uncertainty. Confidence, expectation, hope, and uncertainty, all at the same time. Sort of feels like life, maybe, a bit, huh? I love the honesty of this particular quotation. I love the honesty of the season that we're in that reminds us that lots of things coexist. Life's not easily categorized. This is not a season of like sepia-toned, wishful thinking, where all the bad things and all the difficult things just get airbrushed away. This is a season where a lot of things coexist together. And the spots of scripture we're going to look at today, I think, help to emphasize that. We're going to look at a couple of places where we find 
the human experience, the complicated human experience, right alongside divine kindness and faithfulness and goodness. I hope you'll walk away from today feeling both, I hope that you'll walk away today feeling confident while you're uncertain. I think one of the best invitations that we're given during the season of Advent is to pay attention to our capacity for surprise. I'm guessing that many of us, if not all of us, we have kind of a love-hate relationship with surprise. How many, for how many of you in the room when I said surprise, something in your body started to recoil? I know at least, oh yes, there we go. I get it. Some of us, we would say there are moments when a surprise happens and your reaction is wonderful. That's a wonderful surprise. I'm so grateful for that. And then there will be times when a surprise comes and your reaction is, I never want to be surprised like that again. A love-hate kind of relationship with surprise, right? I tend to agree with the uh, Catholic theologian and priest Ronald Rollheiser, I think that a really good gauge of spiritual health is to pay attention to your capacity for divine surprises. If your capacity for divine surprises is high, that might very well be an indication of spiritual health. I'm going to circle today's teaching around one Simple question. Are you open to God surprising you? I guess we can go. Are you open to God surprising you? Before I dive deeper into that question, I'm going to do a little bit of Bible background. Help us make some sense about this text in Isaiah that Liz read for us. I think this will help us to better engage the story, this bit out of Isaiah chapter seven. Let's start with a map. This might look familiar. Both Ashley and Kyle used this map during their teachings. When we jump into Isaiah chapter seven, we dive deeply into eighth century BC international politics. Merry Christmas. Like I said... So here's a little bit of context for you. We got, you can see a gold and blue section. Kingdom of Judah, Kingdom of Israel. Those are separate on this map. Once they were united, they were once unified. There was only one kingdom. Shortly after the death of Solomon, these two regions were separated. You can read more about this. First Kings chapter 12 tells a bit of the story. We've got... Uh, 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 Okay, here's the scoop. A couple of main characters to keep straight when we think about Isaiah chapter 7. There's a man named Ahaz. We just heard about him in Isaiah. He is the king of Judah. He's the king of the gold section there, Ahaz. The capital city of Judah is Jerusalem. Okay? Second character. It's a guy named Pika, as in Pikachu. Pekah, he's the king of Israel. He's the king of the blue section, okay? The third character for you to know is a guy named Reason. 
And he is the king of Aram. That's the little section there north and east of Israel. Those are the key main characters in this story. Here's the scoop. Aram and Israel, they want to start a kind of coalition to attack the Assyrians. Assyria, you can barely see on the map, it's even farther north than Aram and Israel. So Aram and Israel want to form a coalition to attack the Assyrians, and they invite Judah to join that coalition, to combine forces. But Judah says no. And that makes Aram and Israel really mad. And so by retaliation, Aram and Israel decide, we're not going to attack the Assyrians, we're going to attack Jerusalem instead. That's how Isaiah 7 begins. We didn't hear verse 1, but if you go back and read verse 1 of Isaiah 7, that's the summary. Isaiah jumps onto the scene to talk to this king, Ahaz, about this situation. Verse 2 tells us this, um, the hearts of Ahaz, I'm going to say his name differently every time, just for the record. I don't know how it's said. Ahaz, Ahaz, those are the same person, okay? If someone knows, tell me right now. Ahaz, thank you. Ahaz is what we're going with. The hearts of Ahaz and the people are shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Let me stop here. I'm going to guess that there are some of you in this room who would describe your life right now as shaken. To varying degrees, varying intensities, that you would say life is shaken. I hope when we look at these couple of stories this morning that you will find caution and you will find encouragement. I'm going, to do, I'm going to look at two different texts. We heard this one, Isaiah 7. I also want to look at Matthew chapter 1. And in Matthew chapter 1, we find the introduction to a person named Joseph. Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. And I like that last week, Tim Nelson, in his sermon, he put two characters in conversation. I really liked that, so I want to do something like that. He put John the Baptist and Mary, the mother of Jesus, in conversation. I'm going to put beside each other Ahaz and Joseph, two people whose lives are really shaken, two people who are facing drama and difficult decisions, and they're shaken in the face of that. So using these two episodes as a launching point, I'm going to ask you two questions about surprise. So here's the first question. Are you open to the surprise of God speaking to you? Now, I recognize that this first question for some of us, the question is too mystical or it's too fanciful or it's obviously a metaphor talking and pointing to something else. And so I want to stress immediately that I am talking about something literal. 
one of the truly stunning claims of our Christian faith, and this is confirmed from the very beginning pages of our Bible, is that God is interested in communicating with people, literally. I believe this very deeply. God knows each one of us intimately, and God seeks to communicate with us in ways that we will understand. Literally. The glitch in this whole communication chain is that you and I too often forget. You and I too often struggle to believe. You and I too often struggle to accept that from the very beginning, God has sought to communicate with human beings. Literally. The biblical stories that we encounter during Advent, just these stories, they put this desire for communication on display. God is consistently using messengers, messengers, angels, prophets, people who function like as God's voice box, speaking God's words to those who need to hear them. So God uses messengers, and then God's also consistently using signs. And these also are all over the Advent texts. Just the four weeks of Advent that we have been in. Here's a quick glimpse of what we've seen as signs just in the text that we have covered. We've seen a mountain in a city. We've seen a, a branch and a stump. We've seen some cohabitating animals. We've seen a holy highway. We've seen some more snuggly animals. We saw some healings and wonders and miracles. And then today, all the signs crescendo to a child. This method of communicating through signs, this is a consistent feature of the way that God speaks to humans. 14 verses into the Bible, just 14 verses in, chapter one of Genesis, we see that God puts lights in the sky as a sign. Signs that will mark seasons and days and years. Signs that will communicate to humans. A couple of chapters later, God puts a rainbow in the sky. The rainbow is also a sign. These are God's words. The rainbow is the sign of the covenant that I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. This is a covenant for all generations to come. God will then use Moses as an instigator of signs before the Egyptian pharaoh. And then as the people are out of Egypt and they're wandering, they're consistently encountering signs. And that only gets us to like page 70 of the Bible. It just keeps going and going and going. God is consistently using physical symbols to stress promises and to foster hope in people. I don't remember who said it, if I read it or I heard it, so I can't give uh, full credit, but I remember somebody saying, God using signs is the way that God is saying, I am ready to help you believe. I'm ready and willing and trying to help you believe. 
Are you open to the surprise of God speaking to you? So this passage that we heard today, it begins with a great word of encouragement, just one single word of encouragement. In verse 10, the first word we see is again. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Now, I know this word functionally is connecting the first half of chapter 7 with the second half of chapter 7. God said some words through Isaiah in the first nine verses, and God still has more to say. But I'm, I think this word is bigger than that. This word is a great encouragement to us. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. It's evidence that God just kept speaking. It's another reminder of God's patience and God's great faithfulness. God didn't give up on speaking to Ahaz. He spoke again. Even after Ahaz refuses this really amazing opportunity to ask for a sign, I'll get into that more in a minute, Even after this refusal, God keeps speaking. God's desire to speak to Ahaz is greater than whether Ahaz wants to hear what God has to say. In verse 14, God gives Ahaz a sign. God communicates, is committed to speak to Ahaz, and this commitment is stronger than the willingness of Ahaz to hear it. Right near the end of Isaiah, um, fast forwarding, 66 chapters in Isaiah, at the beginning of chapter 65, we get these amazing words from the mouth of God. I have revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I, here am I. It's another stunning example of God's commitment to speak to humans, to reveal what humans most need, even to those who didn't ask, even to those who weren't actively on the lookout, God communicates and God gives up the hiding place. Here am I, here am I. Now in Matthew, when we look at the character of Joseph, God also speaks to Joseph. And he speaks to Joseph in a dream. Frankly, maybe we ought to consider dreams a viable delivery system for God speaking. Maybe this is one of the things we take away. Even when you're least conscious even when you are like the least primed to be listening, God chooses to speak. And what's the common message that God speaks to both of these people, to Ahaz and to Jacob? What does God say to them both? Do not be afraid. 
Do not be afraid. It may be the most important message every human needs to hear from God. Do not be afraid. Ahaz, do not be afraid about this impending conflict. Joseph, do not be afraid about this unexpected pregnancy. I am ready to help you believe. God speaks to a king and God speaks to a carpenter. God speaks to a man who is in a capital city and God speaks to a man who is in a modest little backwater village. God speaks into geopolitical conflict and God speaks into messy family stuff. And through it all, God is confirming the desire to speak to all people. Are you open to the surprise of God speaking to you? Second question for you to consider. Are you open to the surprise of God directing your life? There's a kind of subtle thing that happens here in Isaiah 7. When we get to verse 11, um, Ahaz is given the invitation to ask God for a sign. It's a remarkable invitation. Um, The text says that this can be a sign whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heavens. Another translation that I really like said, ask for a sign whether it be as deep as shale, as deep as hell, or as high as heaven. It's a remarkable invitation. The spirit of this invitation is that there aren't any limits. Ahaz asks for a, asks for a sign that's without boundaries. Ask for anything. There are no limits to the ask. Friends, and Ahaz says no. Now, on the surface, it looks like a really virtuous denial. Ahaz even quotes scripture. I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. But this is a denial of stubbornness. Let me show you. The story that we're looking at in Isaiah 7, it's told in another place also. 1 Kings chapter 16. Please look at this again on your own time, but in 1 Kings chapter 16, we get another telling about this conflict between these three regions. And in that telling, in 1 Kings, we learn this, that Ahaz, well, he's already already made a plan. That his mind is made up. That he has decided on a solution to this particular problem, and that's what he's going to do. And so when Isaiah comes to Ahaz and he's coming as God's mouthpiece, as God's messenger, 
And Isaiah invites Ahaz to ask God for a sign, a sign of hope, a sign of encouragement for his shaken heart, a sign without boundaries and limits. And Ahaz says no. It's because he's already made his mind up. That Ahaz has a plan and he's sticking to it. And then our other character, Joseph, in Matthew chapter 1. Well, he also has a plan. And Joseph has also made his mind up. It tells us in verses 19 and 20 that Joseph plans to quietly dismiss Mary. He's resolved to follow through with this plan. Joseph has also made up his mind. And yet, when an angel, another of God's messengers, comes to Joseph in a dream and he speaks to Joseph and Joseph wakes up, Joseph changes his plan. That Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded and he decides to take Mary as his wife instead of quietly dismissing her. We have two men here, both spoken to by God, both received signs, both with plans to take care of the complicated situations that they're in. But only one listens, only one obeys. Only one was open to the surprise of God directing his life. Now Ahaz was likely looking for a very particular solution to his problem, right? Ahaz probably wanted a military intervention. He was potentially and likely looking for a warrior God to step up, to take care of these opponents. And Joseph, he was likely looking for something simple and understated, unspectacular, quiet, a way of resolving this situation. And in both cases, the word of God comes to these men and what they are given is a vision of a child. Not a warrior. Not a warrior who would perpetuate military approaches and warring mindsets. But a child. Not a quiet, hear me, not a quiet, culturally accepted, quick and easy solution to some complicated relational dynamics. But a child, a child who has the most truly unbelievable conception story, a child who is going to change everything. And only one man says yes. Are you open? Are you open to the surprise of God directing your life? Are you open? Are you open to a new future? 
Are you open to a change of your plans? Are you open to unexpected solutions to the things that you're facing? Are you open to the surprise of God directing your life? Let me ask a a, a slightly different way. When you think about God speaking to you, what's the one topic that you wouldn't want to come up? What's the one thing you wouldn't want to talk about, even with God, maybe especially with God? Or when you imagine God directing your life, what's the one plan that you don't want messed with? What's the one trajectory that you would want God to keep God's hands off of? And I just encourage you to investigate that. Pay attention to that. What is it about those particular topics or subjects that you would not want God speaking into? What is it about those particular plans or trajectories that you have put into place or the ways that you're headed that that you don't want God to muck around in? What is it that you're, what are you afraid of? What might it take for you to open up a little bit in those places for God to surprise you? I'll also say this that there are likely some of us in this room who are coming at today and at these texts from a really different place. That maybe you right now are facing something too difficult and too significant. And your posture, well, your posture is I'm all up for a surprise. I'm ready. I am ready to hear God speak. I'm ready for God to direct. Maybe you are wide open to a new message, to a new future, to a new direction. And if that's you today, then I want to encourage you to do something as well. And I'm going to encourage you to do something potentially a little vulnerable. I want to encourage you, if you're in this room, to not leave it today before you have shared with someone that desire for a surprise. To vulnerably admit to another person your desire for a surprise. Maybe it's uh, someone that you came with. Maybe it's somebody that you know in your little section. Maybe you can track down one of our pastors. While we're taking communion, there will be a handful of people who would be willing uh, to pray with you and to pray over you, to bear witness to what it is that you are carrying. 
I want to encourage you to take the risk and to let another person in on your desire for a surprise. And allow that person to both bear witness to your desire, but also to join you in praying that God would work and God would speak and God would direct. I desperately long for Mars Hill Bible Church to be a place that is open to all of the surprises of God. That we would be a place that would be so open to and so keen to listen for the voice of God coming to us in a whole range of ways. And that we would be so open and keen to look for the the direction of God, pointing us into places that we might not choose on our own. But not only that, the direction of God who would change our minds and change our plans when there is something better for us. Pope Francis recently in an Advent sermon uh, he used a phrase which I absolutely loved. I'm praying that Mars Hill Bible Church would be a people who welcome the surprises of heaven on earth. Would we be a people who welcome the surprises of heaven on earth? Besides Ahaz and Joseph, the other thing that ties these two stories together is obviously this prophecy. This prophecy that Isaiah spoke, this prophecy about a child being born to a young woman, a child who would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew, he recognized that that prophecy was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And the verse where that shows up in the beginning of Matthew, in that first chapter connected to and spoken about Jesus, I find it fascinating that if you fast forward all the way then to the end of Matthew, the final chapter, chapter 28, verse 20, then Jesus says these words, I am surely with you always. Even to the end, the very end of the age. In the beginning The words God with us are spoken about Jesus and at the end of the text, the words are spoken by Jesus. I will be with you. God God with us frames the entirety of the story. God with us frames the entirety of our story. Emmanuel, God with us, promised not simply in prophecy, but promised by Jesus himself. With us always, speaking and directing, and every single time we gather, with us, feeding us at this table. And so, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. And let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And in a spirit of thanksgiving, let's pray together. Bountiful God, we give our thanks to you.
for you brought into being your glorious creation and you crafted human life in your image. Your prophets promised that a virgin would conceive a son, the one in whom your truth would live, God with us. Through the voice of Mary, your Holy Spirit rejoiced in the wonder of the child eternally begotten of the Father. And through the lips of Joseph, you spoke the long-awaited name, Emmanuel. And so with angels and archangels and all of the company of earth and heaven, we lift our voices in joyful celebration as we join this unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so, living God, as your son was nourished by Mary's body, would you feed and nourish us, your body, with this holy meal? Nourish us with your very self, that we may grow into fullness of life, dwelling in you as your spirit breathes through us. So send your Holy Spirit on us now, that we may be one. Speak to us. Direct us, restore us, O oh God, that we might be saved. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed with his friends, the disciples, he took, he took bread and he broke it. A sign, a physical symbol intended to confirm a promise and to foster hope. And he took the bread and he broke it. Saying, this is my body. Broken for you. And in a similar manner, he took a cup. And he blessed it. And he said, this this is the blood of a new covenant. A new sign. pointing to us, reminding us of the forgiveness of sins. And every time we come to this meal and we eat and we drink, we tell the story again and again and again of a God who desired to communicate great love and grace and mercy to each one of us. So as you take these elements into your body today, hear God speaking. And sense God directing you more and more toward and like himself. It's a story we do our best to retell with these simple, winsome phrases. This is the great mystery of our faith that we say together. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. So please, come to these tables in the aisles where there are allergen-free elements. Take and eat. We'll sing together. There are a handful of folks around who would love to pray with you. Consider the invitation to share your desire for surprise with one another. And receive who you are, the body of Christ.